0: I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast Committed the Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, changemaker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory, Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their marriage and business. Cheryl O'Loughlin is the author of Killing It, An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. She has successfully served as CEO of Cliff Bar and Rebel. That's a company that makes super herb drinks. She co-founded Plum Organics, the hardest thing she's ever done, she said. Currently, she works with the Jedi Collaborative, a group that seeks to help build a natural products industry that promotes justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. After leaving Plum, Cheryl thought teaching might be a nice break from the roller coaster of launching a new business. She accepted the position of Executive Director of the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies in the Stanford Graduate School of Business. That's a mouthful. As she mentored entrepreneur students, She realized that no one was talking about the realities of startup life, how few startups actually make it, and the price many pay getting there personally, emotionally, and physically. This became her inspiration for sharing her hard-won lessons in the book. She deeply believes that entrepreneurs need a healthier paradigm, one that balances the whole person. There are several interviews out there with Cheryl that focus on her experience as CEO and founder, so we don't dive into that. Instead, this interview focuses more on the intersection of her marriage and entrepreneurial experience. Her husband Patrick did not want to be interviewed, so we miss his voice. He graciously gives Cheryl his blessing to discuss their marriage and things they've learned along the way, as she does so honestly in her book. Cheryl is passionate and refreshingly honest with so much wisdom to share. I hope you will have grace for some audio issues we experienced. As a team of three, that's me, myself, and I, There is still a learning curve and some things I'm learning the hard way. Join me now as I welcome Cheryl to the podcast. Cheryl, welcome to Committed, the Entrepreneur Marriage podcast. I am really grateful for your time today. Oh, thank you, Kathy. I'm honored to be here. I really appreciate it. You have been a mentor to so many. You've taken your seat at the table, helping other women see they belong there. You've mentored many entrepreneurs, and students. And you have opened up discussions involving mental health and even marriage topics that few are willing to talk about. Mm. So thank thank you. I discovered your book, killing it. An Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Head Without Losing Your Heart. About two years ago, Mm. I had been looking for resources, anything that addressed the entrepreneur life and especially when it involves a relationship like marriage. And when Mm -hmm. I say marriage, I hope people know by now that 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 includes any committed relationship. So however you define it works here. But there aren't many that take such an honest approach, looking at the whole entrepreneur lifestyle. And so I'm grateful for the way that you really pulled back the curtain and allowed us into your experiences, and the wisdom that you've shared. And I'd like to go a little deeper in some of the areas that you talked about. Here's a quote from your book, and I won't give away all of the book. I really want to encourage anyone listening to this to please go buy it. It really is a gem because what Cheryl uh, did you. in this book is she laid out questions that you should be thinking about at the beginning. But here's your quote. We hear stories about victorious climbs all the time. What we don't hear are stories about the day-to-day process, and the difficulty of the journey, and about the rarity of actually making it to the top. Those stories don't make for sexy headlines. The profession is filled with deeply distressed, or at the very least, chronically unhappy and unhealthy people. And that discontent comes home and affects everyone else who lives there. Cheryl, when I read that, I was just like, Fist pumping. I'm um, like, <laughs> I know I'm not the only one out there. Everybody
1: says that to me. I know. I we think we're nuts.
0: <laughs> and yeah, sometimes we are. I'm speaking for myself, but <laughs> tell me a little bit about um, how the idea of the book came about. Mm, yeah. Well, I had
1: been an entrepreneur, um, having been, well, around an entrepreneur. I was the CEO of Cliff Bar and Gary, who is the co-founder and the owner of the company is the quintessential entrepreneur and learned so much from him and then um, co-founded a company called Plum Organics, which is little baby food pouches that people might know about and I needed a break, Um, starting a company from scratch, and we'll talk about that, was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I went to work for Stanford, and it's so funny because I had, you know, wanted just to really take this break completely from, the day-to-day grind of what I was doing. And I always had this image of my mind of working for a university and the sun would be shining and everyone was talking about big ideas. And I thought it was this big fantasy. And then all of a sudden I was found myself interviewing for this job at Stanford at the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies at the Graduate School of Business. And it was exactly that. It's just like, I mean the, the place is la la land. <laughs> and so I I took this job and I met all of these entrepreneurs and one of the things that I needed to do was to to advise students. And here, you know, you can imagine imagine you're in the middle of Sand Hill Road, money is growing on trees there and people there's billionaires teaching classes. I mean the, the place is like another planet. And here are these students and they'd come to me and they'd talk about these ideas that they had that would, of course, inevitably become the next billion dollar idea. And on their first try, on their first try, of course. Oh, (laughs) well, yes, exactly. They had also started about 10 nonprofits before in their prior life, of course, before coming to Stanford. And I thought, you know, these they have no idea. They have absolutely no idea how hard it is. And I realized nobody was talking about it, nobody. Um, and I thought to myself, why is this? And it, it you see them, if you look at the, all the headlines and you'd listen to the professors, and it was like, it's just this culture of, if we reveal our weakness, we won't be able to get the resources. We won't be able to get people mm-hmm. to trust us. We won't have our family be able to believe in us. And I thought this has got
0: to change. Mm-hmm.
1: This has absolutely got to change.
0: Yeah. So I was wondering if you're familiar with Dorcas Chang Tosen and her book. She wrote a book called Start, Love, Repeat. And she Ooh. was my she was on my guest on a, on another um, episode, and she talked about that process. I think her husband, Ned, also went to Stanford, and they raised money for a social enterprise. And um, she talked about how one of their investors was actually very um, interested in their marriage. He wanted to know that their marriage was strong because, yeah. you know, if the marriage doesn't work out, um, that has a huge ripple effect in the business and ownership and all of that. So I am on board with you that, you know, we really need to focus on this more. Yeah. So you released the book about four years ago. Is that right? Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Weird.
1: I haven't thought about that.
0: Yeah. And I'm curious if there's anything you've learned in that interim that you would add because you covered a lot of great subjects and maybe something that you would add to one of the topics,
1: No, it's an interesting question because we um, so in two thousand and seventeen, we we live in the in Santa Rosa, which is part of Sonoma County. And 2017, the fires ripped through. They did oh again this God. year. Yeah. Um, and that year in 2017, we lost our home. And uh. I say that because, uh, you know, it was a really interesting experience. It's it's through all the hard stuff that you really come out the other side, having a whole different view of of life. It becomes your mm-hmm. defining moment, almost, to get to a a different, the next level of consciousness in some way. Yeah. You know, here we, we lost everything and, and we're, you know, we're so lucky. We, you know, feels such privilege in that we were able to get through it. And where so many people have been so devastated and uh, it's been, you know, so, so, so difficult. And so I am beyond grateful for that. And and you know, it really helped me to realize that you here we it took everything, it, everything that we had um, went away, except that we had each other and our families intact, our health was intact, and, and that was really what was most important. Uh, at the end of the day, the stuff didn't matter. And uh, Patrick and I, my husband, spent a lot of time talking about it. And we said, you know, here we, we're living our life this certain way in this paradigm, this paradigm really that we're all living in because of the society that we live in. And we're feeling like we got to keep grinding and grinding and grinding. And we're in a privileged enough situation where we, we had we had enough you know we didn't need necessarily more and so we took a real step back and i you know it was i was actually it had stayed at rebel the company that i talked about in the book that i had just started at the time it i stayed there for four years loved every minute wonder just incredibly wonderful company and but but my husband and i said you know life is so short our mm-hmm. are getting older let's let's use this chance to live a different paradigm. And so I decided to leave Rebel. And we just shifted the focus of our time. And out of that, I ended up starting two nonprofits, one that's um, called the JEDI Collaborative, stands for Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, to help to uh, the natural products industry, which has been the industry I've been in my whole career, to realize justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, and in, which is astronomically important, and uh, we need to in our industry because we have an industry that is um, focused on healthy products, but we're only getting to them to the small segment of the population. And I also uh, started in a nonprofit called the Women on Boards Project it, to get more women on boards. And I say that because with everything that happened with the fire with this living a different paradigm and starting these two nonprofits and doing uh, the other board work now what it dawned on me when I took a, as I take a step back from it is that you know as entrepreneurs when we start something we think this is it this is our identity we're so locked into this our self worth feels like it's totally encapsulated in it and as I think about my career now that I'm getting older and older and older, my son just turned 20 yesterday. Oh. I, I know it blows my mind. And I think about that. Our, we're in some ways, we're, as entrepreneurs, we're artists and we create things on a canvas and we think that we just have this one canvas. And what I'm realizing is, no, you take out a new canvas and you paint a new picture mm. and, and, and a new one. You It's almost like creative destruction so that you can c- construct something else. That's even, it steps even more into what you want to become in this world yeah. in terms of your legacy. So now like this Jedi collaborative to me is like, this is the world I want to see. And I'm painting a different picture now and a different canvas. Mm. And so I think that's, That's kind of where I've come to since the book. Okay, that is
0: so powerful, and I I did not know that about your home. I am so sorry to hear that. And I live in Granby, Colorado, which just you know, there's a fire here that I was driving through a neighborhood just Sunday, and just you just I needed to see it with my own eyes. You know, our home is okay, so we're grateful, but our community's been impacted, and you've. Ugh. been through that so
1: it's terrible i mean we just in the fire just here a couple months ago it was a, a mile away uh, from our house it, people have lost their house
0: twice oh my goodness yes. did you rebuild where your first home no, was
1: no because the insurance what didn't fully cover the cost of rebuilding so we lived down okay. the street from our other house where our other oh house my was. Goodness.
0: but that is that's really traumatic. So it's, it's very inspiring to hear that you were able to kind of plant your feet. Our That's mm-hmm.
1: the world has changed. It's, you know, if things are it's happening if the climate has changed.
0: Yes. Yes. Our reality. Well, gosh, thank you again. I mean, I think some of what I enjoyed so much about your book, Cheryl, is you're so vulnerable and you just don't find that a lot in, in the world of entrepreneurship especially um, but in the world in general you know we tend to hide and yeah. gosh i can't tell you what's really going on because what would you think of me or what yeah. how would that look so yeah thanks for sharing that oh, thank
1: you
0: i found some other great interviews with you that really tap into your business expertise but today i want to go a little deeper about that um, intersection between marriage and entrepreneur life. And you talk in your book a lot about your relationship with Patrick, and he sounds like an amazing partner and person and friend. Um, For those listening, he did not want to be interviewed, but said it'd be okay if we talked about him very nicely. No, (laughs) no, he he
1: would be okay if we talked about him and not so nicely too.
0: (laughs) Well, those are my words, but uh, (laughs) so I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your relationship. Um, How long have you guys been married? Oh, how long have we been married? (laughs) Been married since
1: 97. How many years is that? Uh, 23? 23?
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That's so, awesome.
1: I was yeah, but we've been together since uh, nineteen
0: ninety. So okay, so that's thirty years, and I know that because my daughter turned thirty this week, and she turned oh, well, she was ninety. Uh, yeah, and you guys have two boys, right? We have two boys
1: uh, soon to be uh, in in a week to be 17
0: and a, again, a 20 year old. And 20, very good. So tell us a little bit about how you guys met. Uh,
1: we were actually both working at General Foods, which now is no longer named General Foods, it's actually Kraft. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had, we were, there was a, just a group of young people and that, that were there and we'd go out and we'd all party together. And there were just all these clandestine couples that nobody knew about. And Patrick and I started dating. We were working on this project together. I was, I was running the, cool. embarrassingly enough, I've been in the natural products industry forever. I was running the Kool-Aid the, the flavored powdered sugar. I was running the Kool-Aid Wacky Warehouse where kids had to collect uh, little UPC codes to get boys and I needed to figure out how to manage the inventory of the warehouse, and Patrick was his brilliant IT guy, and so I said, can you wow. he help me to find an algorithm to make this, It make me figure out the, the inventory that we needed, and then I was like, God, this guy's pretty smart, and he's pretty cool, and all of a sudden, one thing led to another, and then he moved to California one month later, oh. so I thought that was the end of it, I was living in New York.
0: Yeah. So what happened after that?
1: Uh, You know, it just kept going long term for one year. And I finally said, you know what? This guy's pretty great. And I moved out to California.
0: That's so you moved out there. Well, it is challenging enough to have one entrepreneur in the family, but you guys are both entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, well, that that was was not the best move we've ever made. (laughs) Patrick went on to work at Clorox. Very stable job, wonderful company. That was a lot easier.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to ask if you knew at the time that you were entrepreneurs or who was the first to kind of dip Ooh. their toe in that water? That's an excellent question. I
1: wouldn't have, no one has asked me that before. Um, we both did it for the first time at the same time. Uh, <laughs> that was not a smart move at all. We, um, he was, believe it or not, he has always been the one to have the spirit of an entrepreneur. He's much more of a risk taker than I oh. am. I ended up being the one that was the continuous entrepreneur, and he went to work for the big company, and, which is so interesting. But, you know, I and having I taught over at Sonoma State University, taught entrepreneurs, and I worked with this uh, a tenure professor who, um, had this game that he played with students. I talk about it in the book where he'd say, okay, there's students who wanted to be entrepreneurs. Uh, I will either give you a dollar now or I'll give you a hundred dollars at, at the end of the year. Who? What, what would the entrepreneur do? Everyone would raise their hand and say, I'll take the hundred dollars down the line. He's like, entrepreneurs don't take the the hundred dollars down the line. They take the dollar that's here right now because it's a resource and you need it. I mitigate risk. That's how I am as
0: an entrepreneur. I mitigate risk. Yeah, that's interesting because as my husband talks with different people that are maybe thinking about being entrepreneurs or maybe they've already launched, but Um, one friend in particular, he's really not a risk taker. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer that, that they're always risk takers. As you said, they mitigate risk.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. You have to because you have no safety net. You're creating the safety net.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So you've, you've got to address as much as you can going into it. Would you say that you and Patrick are more alike Or are you opposites in ways that strengthen each other and your family? Oh, my God. (laughs) We are (laughs) opposites.
1: We have. So here's what we share. We share values. Absolutely. Even though he's Catholic, I'm Jewish. Our values are completely aligned. Uh We share our number one value is family love. We share that. Yeah. What we don't share is uh, our approach. In many ways, he <laughs> is Mr. You know, calm, cool. He lives his life kind of like you know, like this. It, it kind of life is good, and we go along, and it's all good. I live my life like a roller coaster. And yeah. Every day is up and down, and there and there, and it just he evens me out, and I. I think he would say, if he were here, that I helped to make life a little more exciting.
0: <laughs> it, I always find it interesting, you know, with couples, because some people say opposites attract. Other people are like, no, you have to be the same and everything. And I just say, oh. how boring would that be to be married to yourself? You know,
1: uh, we would drive each other. If he were me, I, I, we would not be married anymore. He would drive me up the friggin' wall.
0: So you found a way to to balance that. And uh, that's awesome. I want to dive in a little bit to one of the chapters in your book on the entrepreneur and romance. You cover different relationships. You cover friendships and uh, partnerships and romance. I know I'm missing some others, but Um, In this chapter, you describe a time when you and Patrick were both involved in startups. Patrick's startup, Blue Sky, ended up not making it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I'd like to dig a little deeper, Mm -hmm. partly because I was thinking this must be the most difficult time. But hearing your story about the fire, (laughs) that might have been a more difficult time. I don't know. No, the fire was not even
1: a... Order of how difficult the time was with Pat, what Patrick went through. And I'll tell you, it's, you know, a big thing. What What's important is your health, love, but finances. If that's what I'm saying. When we went through the fire, we were okay on finances, and so many people weren't. And when we went through Blue Sky, it took everything. I, I mean, we were financially devastated, and that was. So deeply scary, so so deeply scary. So here I told you how Patrick was is always even healed. Mm-hmm. He he went through such a deep depression. He could not literally could not get out of bed for three months. Mm-hmm. He had to go to the Stanford sleep clinic to learn how to sleep again. Yeah, um, it was we didn't know what we were going to do. So that by far was so much harder.
0: Yeah, and when you talk about I think you reference something like 95% of startups don't make it. So that was not at all unusual, but I don't know if there's a way for us to prepare, you know, I mean, looking back, but you know, would you have done anything differently? Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And he would say that too. So You know, what we what we thought is he were creating a balanced portfolio, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. We my company was funded through venture capital. So it had felt like it had a bigger safety net with his. We said, okay, well, we're going to put our family finances into this thing. And we thought, you know, they balance each other out. Mm -hmm. The. What we did, however, with Patrick's company is he, 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 the way he articulates it. You know, it was a family set context. It was a, a it was a, fam, a healthy family entertainment place. It was like the antithesis of Chuck E. Cheese, where there were <laughs> activities, that were you know physical for kids and creative, and we served healthy food, and parents could get a glass of wine and a beer and Everyone we told about this concept was like, "That is the greatest concept in the world." You know, that's where you gotta really understand the feedback you're getting. Greatest concept in the world. Why isn't anyone done it? Well, that's why you gotta ask yourself, "Why isn't <laughs> Why isn't <laughs> anyone done it?" And um, what Patrick again would say is, "We he created a Taj Mahal, so we got this huge space in Emeryville." and we were so naive. We had absolutely no idea that, you don't take on a space that big. Agree out of your personal finances to agree, to take on the rents. Um, no upgrades from the landlord. All of a sudden we kept finding out, oh, delays from the city. Oh, we gotta, we gotta upgrade this thing, that thing. The whole time we're spewing out money with the place not opened for the rent uh and paying all this other money and so time is going by and it's a beautiful you know it's it, it, it actually was not a beautiful summer it was very rainy in in emeryville california and finally finally after going through all this it's, it's time to open this indoor play space doors open sun comes out it is beautiful outside after it's been crappy outside, nobody wants to go in and go into a indoor play space. Well, we mm-hmm. had burned through most of the money and then we opened the doors, not nearly at all to capacity. And I, I, I will always remember the today, here, I'm doing my own startup. I'm stressed out. I have a really difficult wow. investor. And I came home one day and Patrick walks in the door And he's literally white as a ghost and, you know, my calm husband. And I've never, I I hope I never have to experience this again. He's white as a ghost and literally cold to the touch. And uh, Patrick, what is going on? And he could not speak. And I don't know if it was two seconds. I don't know if it was an hour. I don't know how much time passed, but he literally could not speak. And finally, he looks at me and he says, it's all gone. Mm. Are you talking about it's all gone? So I I burned through all of our money. We have nothing left. Um, And here we have this lease. We were stuck with this lease. And so there was more money to go out the door. We took out part of our 401k because we didn't know what to do. I I wanted to support them and give it more of a chance. That burned through in a second. That was complete waste. And um, uh, it was just, we had to go through uh, trying to figure out what this landlord, uh, it was the whole, the whole thing was a phone calls from debtors. The whole thing was Horrible. So if I would have done, long story short, I would have done it completely differently. And Patrick would have done it completely differently. We would have gotten someone that understood the restaurant space. We would not have done what we did with the landlord. I mean, there's lesson after lesson after lesson. You have to have people with a knowledge of that industry, no matter how smart we mistakenly thought we were an unhumble um because we thought oh we're mbas we'll figure it out you know it will work that was
0: wrong answer so yeah and i think part of what motivates both of us is if if we can take the hard things or things we learned the hard way and share them but i don't know i sometimes wonder do you think anybody listens <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know what? I, I really, I really do. But to to your point, it takes humility and being humble is it's really hard. Here, I'll take it to the mindset that, you know, that Patrick had, he'd share if he were here, which is when he had this whole concept, this mindset and people say, I remember students saying this to me at Stanford too. Everybody's a naysayer. Everyone will tell you your concept is bad. So you just have to take the risk and be brave, blah blah. blah. look what you know, Steve Jobs does. Well, Steve Jobs is one in a million and did not take as much risk as people think he did. Um, and and so so what Patrick? So he was ignoring the naysayers and people saying, you know what? A lot of restaurant businesses are really hard; they fail, blah blah blah. And Patrick said, what well, I didn't. What he didn't do is see the thread of truth in that, and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this because I don't know this industry until I find a partner that will do it with me that knows intimately what this industry is all about, and that was the thread of truth he he missed. So what I always encourage entrepreneurs to do is not that you have to pay attention to everything that everyone or I should say pay attention. You don't have to take action of everything that everyone says, but find the thread that is going through each of these that is telling you the thread of truth.
0: Mm, That's so good. As you said, you and Patrick share a very deep value for the importance of family. And it sounds Mm. like you kind of clung on to each other and got through that time. What are some other things you think you did well during that time? Mm. How did you stay connected? And you talk a little bit in the book about not having resentment, which is really difficult. Yes. You know,
1: yeah, it's, it is so easy to blame each other. And it is, yeah, it's like almost a self-protection. Like, I didn't do this, that person did that. And, you know, I said to Patrick, I I remember that when he, he talked about this idea and he wanted to do it so badly and I had held off for a while and really like, I'm nervous. I mean, this really went against my grain of, it just put, it just stretched us too far. And I saw how passionately he wanted to do this. And I finally said to him one day, and I remember it was Thanksgiving. Uh, in, the, in, it was 2007, I believe, I said to him, okay, I'm there, let's do this, I know how much you believe in this, and how important this is to you, mm-hmm. let's do this, and I will never forget that, and I said to him, I, I said, I'm in this thing, I'm in this thing now, even though it went bad, I'm in this thing with you, that doesn't change the commitment that I made to do this together. Now I would say as a couple, it is so important that you're holding hands and making it happen. Now I'll have to say it was hard because I know that if I would have said no, you know, it would have been really hard. I mean, he would have resented that too. I know and we've talked about that, I know he would have. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not gonna say, you know, I'm this great, wonderful person. I was, I was afraid too. But the point is that we're in this together. It's a life that we have together, and we're all going to make compromises. We're going to make compromises. We're going to do things that maybe we wish we never would have done. Yeah, I'd say it, of course. I wish I would have said no. But you know what? If I would have said no, he he would have always wondered. So I don't think I could have said no. So life goes on. I think that's the thing that that we forget. And I look at my kids and I try to tell them now, life goes on. You go through hard stuff and it goes on.
0: Yeah. Well, you guys have really modeled that. And I'm sure there were days where, again, one's up and one's down. And it's really hard when you're both down and you see your husband so depressed. Yeah.
1: You know, that's such an interesting point, Kathy, because I, when he went through his depression, I, I be, it was almost like I became, you know, everyone says you have these stories of moms picking up the cars, like a, a <laughs> adrenaline rush when their kids are, you know, in, in danger underneath the car. That's how I felt like I, I, be, I had an adrenaline rush for three months. I literally could not feel, I could not feel. And as soon as he started getting better, and it's amazing. After three months, he came popped right out of it and became himself yeah. again. I fell apart. I completely fell apart. And I talk about it in the book. I ended up um, coming down with an eating disorder because I just I, I needed to control something. And t- mm-hmm. the easiest thing to control was my eating and my exercise. So that's what I did. Um, so yeah. I fell apart, too. But he, when he fell apart, I was there. When I fell apart, he was there.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? And the other thing that strikes me is that you guys had some history together already. Mm-hmm. I think about if that had happened, say, in your first year of marriage. Mm-hmm. Good point. It'd be really even more challenging. Um, what i learned in your book is again this deep friendship that you and patrick have and how you you refer to him as your best friend
1: mm-hmm.
0: what what are some things that that you all did to create that foundation prior to that time
1: hmm. well you know we in some ways grew grew up together we were 24 when we met when we met and close to thirty or thirty when we got married, and um, I, I think that we just we we I really think a big part of it was communicating with each other, and I, that sounds so trite, but it it was being in constant dialogue and say and saying our truth and being open to each other's truth, and we realized through that, and I'll, you know, I credit my mom for this because she's you know, she had her my father passed away when I was young, and she got married a second time, and she focused so much on that marriage. she went out to dinner with him every Wednesday and Saturday, and that was nothing came in the way of that. And I I watched this as a kid and how how bonded they became and to me that was kind of that was the model and for Patrick his parents were married uh, it, it, his whole entire life until his father just passed away at 87 years old married you know well over 50 years oh my goodness and so we had these wonderful role models and and I, you know it I, I just it, what one of the things that came out of that for us and this, you hear this a little bit more now, but at the time I had friends that really criticized us for, for believing this, that our marriage came first. Yes, we had two kids. And we said this before we have kids, our marriage comes first, because if that is not strong, everything else falls apart. And our kids see that they see that we take the time to be together and focus on each other. And you know what, Kids. You're not a part of this little happy hour that we're having right now. (laughs) They they, both boys have said to us that that is the way they want to be with their significant other, that they understand the importance of the priority of the relationship. And my God, that makes me so happy. And we have we have an extremely close family. But I think it's because that we put each other first that is allowing space for that to happen.
0: Yeah. And you think about the, the impact if, like, at, when Blue Sky did not make it, you know, if you didn't have that foundation.
1: Yeah. Wouldn't have you,
0: you've got nothing, you know. And as you so eloquently said earlier, you know, you, you lost your home, but you realized you had each other. And I just, I, I'm, again, I'm grateful for you sharing that because. It's a drumbeat that I want to keep beating. I saw a a YouTube video with Mr. Wonderful. He was being interviewed, and he was sharing a story about a student that said he had a dilemma, that he was engaged. He had already started a venture that was doing very, very well, but it required a lot of time. And his fiance wanted some time with him on Sunday. And he said, what should I do? And um, Kevin, Kevin O'Leary said, "Uh, well, you're going to have to make a choice. And he said, and I think he made the right choice, implying that he chose the business over Uh, uh, this relationship. And I'm just like, no. I mean, I think there needs to be. And understanding, especially if one is an entrepreneur and the other is not, it's important for them to understand the risks. And I think that's one of the things that you address in your book is the commitment that it takes. And it takes both of you being on the same page about, as you said, agreeing to start a business. Mm -hmm. Because if you're in it together, then you can't go back later and say, I told you so. Yeah. You know, even if the business Makes it or the idea or the invention or whatever it is that somebody starts, there are going to be rocky places getting to success. And I think that's, we just don't talk about that enough. And so that's some of why we have these conversations.
1: Well, I think, that, you know, and something important about that is that, you know, as entrepreneurs, <laughs> And with the pressure of, with investors and everything else and feeling like society is saying we have to work 24 seven and that we're bad entrepreneurs. If we're not working, we didn't make it happen because we feel like we're holding the whole thing together. And you know what? I, I, I'll call, excuse my language, bullshit on that. Yep. Or that yellow flag uh, because it, it, it is, we, Our whole people and if we're not fed outside fed in every way from uh, things that help us to be healthy and relationships that are healthy the whole thing falls apart i i think so many investors do not understand it and you referenced it in a positive way earlier is that taking the time for for him for him to have taken the time with his spouse would strengthen his ability to come back to work stronger. Mm -hmm. It would create a stronger relationship, which, as you said earlier, is the bedrock to everything being thriving. If your relationship is falling apart, how can you possibly focus on being strong for the business? So it is us as whole people that have to be strong and going and jamming through it all the time is the fastest way to burn out and is actually what's going to make the investors money not get a good return. So we have got to shift this culture as to how we think about startups.
0: I just want to say preach it, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what about, was there other marriage advice that impacted your relationship? You talked about, um, having very positive role models and that is awesome because that's another thing that a lot of couples just don't have.
1: Uh,
0: and, and I did a lot of premarital counseling when I had my office years ago and I would often ask a couple, who do you have? That's a role model for you. Mm -hmm. And they look at each other like "Eh, nobody. And it just broke my heart, you know? But was there, um, is there a book or did you guys ever have a a marriage coach or a counselor or what are some other um, tools maybe that were helpful for you and Patrick? Anything come to mind?
1: Well, it's not a tool, but I would say just the, you know, it's kind of goes back to your, how do you support each other and, and really listening to each other. And so so there was a situation I it's actually talked about it in my book. So I had a close group of girlfriends that uh, we, our mommy group we called it. And I actually we called ourselves the mean mommy group which is horrible, but we were this group there was this group, big group of moms that got together and we formed little groups within this bigger group of people that had like situations and ours was we were all working moms. Be- believe it or not in a group of 100 moms there were Six of us, and that was it. That was the only working moms group, which is really interesting. So, fast forward in time, and here's Patrick and I prioritize our relationship, and you know, and this group of moms was 100% focused on their kids and 100% focused on partying in a big way. So, beside when they were outside of being with their kids. So we were, um, I thought my husband was out of town and I was going to, uh, it, it was a party with, with these moms and we were driving, a, I was driving with a friend of mine from Oakland to San Francisco. And my friend looked at me and she said, you know, it, it, they were being, you know, my group of friends is, is sometimes we are as women was being kind of like weird, like they weren't really hanging around me as much. And I thought, what's going on with this? So she said, you know, Cheryl, I got to tell you, we just don't agree, we, with the way you live your life. We think, you know, you focus, you focus so much on Patrick and not enough on the kids and here's, you know, judgment upon judgment. And I started bawling and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, Maybe I'm just like, must be such a horrible person. And I had to spend, we're all in San Francisco. I had to spend the whole entire night with all these people that I, everybody hates me. I'm here with all these women. I was, it was awful. So I come home and I called Patrick um, and I said, yeah, I conveyed the story. And he said, Cheryl, why are you listening to that? He said, this is what we believe is important for our family. These are our values. Who cares what they think? And I thought to myself, I mean, this sounds really silly, but I literally thought this like, wow, I never, I never even actually thought of that as a possibility of not really caring what they thought and being comfortable with what we believe because we made a very deliberate choice. And he just changed my whole entire mindset on the thing. And interestingly enough, years later, so I'm still friends with these people, this woman who I'm talking about, ended up getting divorced from her husband. And she said to me, you know what? You and Patrick did it right. We didn't understand that, but you did it right.
0: Wow. What a great story. Coming to an end of our time here, I thought about a question that Stephen Covey asks in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he has an exercise where he tells you to envision yourself, you know, you're you you have died, you're in your casket, your friends, family, coworkers are coming by and paying their last respects. And that it's an exercise to illustrate start with the end in mind. Mm. So I'm curious, Cheryl, with all the amazing things that you've done, how do you most want to be remembered?
1: Uh, is somebody who gave lots and lots and lots of love in that my husband and my kids, especially, and my my friends felt like I just, and and my colleagues felt like I deeply, deeply cared about them and they felt seen.
0: Well, I would love to meet you in person one day.
1: That would be awesome.
0: I feel like you have made the world a little better place Uh and we need as much of that in this day and age as we can get. So I want to thank you and Patrick for giving us a picture of what a supportive relationship can look like even in the dark times. So
1: is there anything else you
0: would like to share before we wrap up?
1: No, none other than I just want to thank you because these are the conversations that need to be had more and more. So, again, we do change this culture of entrepreneurship and the way we look at it now. It doesn't have to be this paradigm. And so thank you for the work that you're doing to help to create that change. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Thanks again for coming. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Cheryl. And I'm curious, what struck a chord with you after hearing their story? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can email me anytime at info at kathyrushing.com. That's Kathy with a K. You can also find more marriage resources at my website, kathyrushing.com and sign up for my monthly email, where we share like friends sitting over coffee. If you could give us a rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts, that really helps others discover this conversation. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time.